Hello, and welcome to The Reset Show, episode number nine. Today's theme is prototyping, and to tell us all about it, we are honoured to have as our very special guest today, Carly Loff. And Carly is a senior instructor at the Luma Institute. Check it out if you don't know about it, a fascinating place. Carly's just been telling us about it. And to, to sum up Carly, she basically roams the globe, helping all sorts of organizations rethink their design processes and strategies. She's worked with Fortune 500 companies, government agencies and universities. And speaking of universities, Carly is one of the few, literally few, three people uh, in the world who has a PhD in prototyping. Uh, which I know Belinda is particularly uh, impressed by. Uh, but most importantly, Carly got up at about five o'clock to join us today from the States. So huge kudos for that, Carly, and thank you. Um, we will get the conversation started with Carly shortly, but first I would of course like to welcome, as always, my co-hosts. We have Katie and Emma from People Lab. We have Belinda from Fathom XP, and I'm Justin from Everyday Resilience. And course welcome to you who are joining us live for this recording and welcome to you who are watching the show on YouTube or indeed listening to us on the podcast and finally I have the honor of introducing as well welcoming three special audience members all of our audience members are special and these three uh, guests have come specifically today because of the topic we have Esther Poza employee experience and employer branding manager at Repsol we should have Perry Timms any moment chief energy officer at PTHR and friend of the show and Emma Calvert who's a coach and organizational effectiveness consultant that's the introductions. I know it's not about me, alas, it's about Carly. So I'm gonna hand over to Emma to briefly recap what the Reset Show is about and what we're gonna be focusing on today. And then we'll get stuck in to some good old Carly chat. So over to you, Emma. Oh, cool, thanks, Justin. And welcome, Carly, and thanks for getting up at the crack of dawn to join us, we really appreciate it. Um, I guess you could say the Reset Show is kind of prototyping in action because we, 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 when we started it, we weren't really sure where it was going to go, but we had this kind of idea and we sort of wanted to experiment with it and, and, and see what happened. And, and, you know, here we are nine shows later and, and we're still going and um, had some fascinating conversations along the way. So we originally set up the reset show really to, to kind of find a space to talk, share, collaborate uh, in these incredibly strange times we're living through. We wanted to, to talk about how we could make the most of the reset opportunity to really start to do things differently and start to do things better. So if you're thinking about kind of, you know, uh, making the world of work better, that is what we're all about. So I think that will probably fit, hopefully, with a lot of what Carla's going to talk about today, give us some practical tools on how we can actually do that rather than just sitting around talking about it. So that's why we started the Reset Show. And you know, gathering just amazing guests along the way. And we're so chuffed that people like Carly and, and others have kind of joined us. We've been blown away by people saying yes, which has been amazing. So that is really what we're all about. Um, so let's get stuck straight in. I'm gonna hand over to B to ask Carly some questions. Over to you, B. Thank you so much, yeah, Carly. Thank you so much for joining. So I first came across Carly um, and your work. I was listening to the Design Thinking 101 podcast. 
and you were talking on there about prototyping and actually as a refresher I've just re-listened today and I've got more stuff from it so that's super exciting and that was all part of the research process that Emma and I were going through and we're writing our book on employee experience design which is also how I've met one of our other guests who's also joining from the states today Damon Dean from IBM. Damon thank you so much for joining us at the crack of dawn. So Carly I'd love to just I'll throw it over to you to give us a little introduction to who you are and what you do. And if I can be really cheeky and chuck in there, give us your beautiful, simple explanation of design thinking as well, because you do that so neatly. We're not really focusing on design thinking today. We're literally pulling out this whole idea of prototyping, but I don't want to orphan the conversation by not giving a nod to what design thinking is. So Carly, tell us about you and give us a little tiny snippet about design thinking. Yes, thanks Belinda and Justin and Emma and everyone for uh, having me on the call, very excited. Um, so as I got a nice introduction from Justin, um, I have a couple different roles. I'm a, a senior instructor at Luma Institute. I'm also an innovation consultant, a design researcher, an educator, a facilitator. I actually like to think of myself in this lens called hybrid professional. Um, I have a colleague, Sarah Beth Burke, who kind of coined this term. And it's it's this idea that you know we have multiple identities as a professional and being able to intersect at them is really where sometimes the power comes. So I think the blend of me being um, more of a researcher in the academic sense, also an educator and a facilitator to help guide people, um, take them on this journey. And then as an innovation consultant um, as well, kind of drawing from different experiences, allowing myself to um, share that knowledge with a lot of organizations on how to be more innovative. Um, now I use, when I say innovation, I, I often teach design-driven innovation. And that means, like Belinda was nodding to, we often draw from design thinking or what people call human-centered design. And design thinking or human-centered design, they're pretty interchangeable to me, really is about putting the human, the people at the center of anything that we're creating. And so it's, you know, I think at one essence, that's kind of the big thing people think of. Um, there's also a couple other aspects of design thinking that I like to think of like a bias towards action, prototyping, building to think. And so I think that's kind of where my prototyping comes in is that uh, I focus a lot on that aspect of design thinking per se. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I love it. So what do you, what do you, I know you've done a, a whole range of work and we've, you know, we love the product design bit and we also love the, the, the cultural change that you create within organizations. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment. Yeah. So um, I think at the Luma Institute, which I mentioned, I'm a senior instructor there, just so everyone kind of is a little aware of what they do. Um, they're an organization that drives a culture change of in innovation in companies. And so we train people and get them up to speed on human-centered design, um, specifically using Luma system of innovation, which is 36 curated methods. So I do a lot of my time spending helping big companies um, learn, train, facilitate, kind of move the needle towards changing their culture and their organization. Um, and then kind of outside of that, my, my backgrounds, you know, in prototyping in the academic world, I did my PhD in it. And so I'm also constantly working on research projects related to that. Uh, one of them is this tool that Belinda actually, I think, came across of, which is called the prototyping canvas, which, you know, we, we stole kind of that popularity, right? Business model canvas, really modular, really simple, like the easiest thing to kind of pick up, understand and start using. And so we took that type of framework and brought it over and thought about what are the building blocks for prototyping? 
you know, what are the things that you need to think about, the questions you need to ask, um, what you should reflect on, and we put that together. So we have our version one out there, but my colleagues, uh, Professor Jessica Menold and Professor Chris Wood and myself are working on a version two and making it more modular and accessible, especially in this remote digital era, right? Right now we have this paper one, which was like essentially our prototype, right? Our prototype of the prototype in Canvas. We did it, we tested it, we got feedback. Now we've learned a ton of things from it and we're working on a version two um, and especially with an eye towards like having a modular online version that people can pull up anywhere. You don't feel like you need to print something. Um, yes. So that's one of the big things I'm working on. Um, I guess the second one I'll just mention really quickly is that um, slow, but I am working on a book on how to prototype anything, which gets into prototyping strategies, looking at tons of different industries, case studies, examples, um, just kind of breaking down prototyping for people and giving them um, a place to go to have those resources in one place. I can't wait for that. Thank you so much. I suppose I'm super interested. I love that sort of busting this prototyping mindset out of the sort of design flow, if you like, and bringing it into to organizational cultures as a, as a way of working, as a way of prototyping anything. Tell me a little bit about that. How, what does prototyping even mean and how do you think it can help organizational cultures? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question. And that is something I try to do is break down the barrier to prototyping. I think step one for everyone is you hear the word and everyone either gets scared from it or has a different mental model. You think prototype, what do you think of? Oh, I got to go to the machine shop. I got to send out this final drawing. Oh, that's an engineer does that. What I'm trying to say is that prototyping is just bringing your idea to life in some type of tangible way so that you can get feedback, you can communicate, you can test it. And so that can look as simple as creating a storyboard. You might have a storyboard of something you're doing. You're explaining kind of the steps of it. Um, you know, like it can be as simple as that. As long as you're trying to bring your idea to like the next level and you're doing something with it, you're bringing it to someone. I'm bringing it to Belinda and I'm saying, hey, Belinda, what do you think? Or could you give me feedback on this piece? Or you're using it as a tool to kind of move the needle, move the conversation forward. I think we often get stuck in just sitting and talking and talking, right? We just come, we have a meeting, we talk about things. I think that you should never go to a meeting without a prototype. And lots of people have said this. It's, it's kind of a popular in the design thinking world is like, I think it was coined um, possibly from someone at Stanford, like, don't go to a meeting without a prototype right? Like you should have something to anchor your conversation, to show the tangibility and to kind of keep pushing forward towards whatever it is you're achieving. I love that. I, I and, and I really agree with that. And I think actually what I see, you hear the rhetoric and then what I see is it becomes never come to a meeting without a PowerPoint. So if we talk about busting prototypes out of the design flow and taking them into the, the organization, how do we get over this fact that actually you don't c communicate and test an idea in a PowerPoint? How, what do we do with that? Yeah, well, I think that I, I'm so, I don't wanna say don't use PowerPoint because I actually think it's a secret tool for prototyping really well, but mm -hmm. it's the intent of using, it's the intent of using PowerPoint. So I think like if you're, you know, I feel like maybe because of the way we all grew up and went, you know, went to school, you have a teacher at the front, right? You have this person speaking to you. They're the expert person. They're, you know, giving the knowledge. I would, I would love to see more of a shift towards 
uh, you know, instead, you, those are essential, essential, right? Sometimes you need to have a meeting where you're an update or something's going on. But I think more so thinking about what's the intent of the meeting and should it be more of a working meeting? Should it be more of a, you know, early stage ideation type meeting? Should it be more like thinking about just maybe don't call everything a meeting, maybe have a more intent behind it. And then that can start changing the expectations of what you do. You know, because when you hear meeting, you think, it's just like the word prototype. You hear meeting, you think I'm coming here. I'm listening to this person. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit back. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not the case most of the time when we say meeting. And so maybe we need to change and have, have a little bit more specific context about what it is we're trying to accomplish at those gatherings or whatever you want to call it of people, right? So I, I love that. And actually, you know, the whole premise of the research show, which is there's an opportunity to reset the way that we do work and the way that we are at work and how we experience work. And actually meetings are fundamental. So using this opportunity to reset how we even approach this thing that we call meetings, I, I love it again, busting that open. So I'm gonna come to our special guests in just a moment to ask for your questions. So if you've got one up, you see that'd be brilliant because I don't wanna put you on the spot. But before I do that, I've got another question for you, Carly, which is prototyping is often described as the hardest thing to do. In design thinking and if it's hard in design thinking which is not exclusively but tends to be the remit of designers how hard is it for the rest of us and how do we make it easier yeah that's a great question belinda um you know i always start off with saying like changing the language changing the expectations first about what a prototype needs to be um, i'm hoping that possibly in my book at least that's coming out will show that prototyping is a, is a process you start with low fidelity you you iterate you maybe make something more medium fidelity right a little bit more refined a little bit more time and effort before you get to that higher fidelity thing that you're putting out there of the prototype and i think if we can start thinking of it as a spectrum maybe you can call attention to like i'm really here i'm, I'm like step one right like i'm making this on paper like i am sketching this out in a storyboard i am you know it will make it more accessible if you start to realize that you can do it sooner, that you can do it with a lot of low cost materials. And that if you can start to become aware of the different strategies, I think a lot of people learn really well when they see different examples and case studies. Um, I know that was my, you know, as an engineer, most of my degrees were in engineering. We loved looking at examples of how people did it to kind of get that framework. It's like, I think people are craving some, some more strategies or frameworks and examples to show like, how can I do it in X example? How can I do it in this industry? And at least to my knowledge right now, there isn't a, a perfectly unified place for people who don't feel, who feel like they don't know how to prototype, I would say, um, in a lot of industries. I know like uh, even talking, I, Emma, Emma Bridger on earlier before we started this, you know, she's talking about like, you could prototype a podcast, you could prototype a new service offering, right? You can prototype, you can do it for things that you wouldn't think of. You know, initially, a lot of people think you need to prototype a physical object. Well, that's not always true. I mean, maybe you need to make it tangible in some way to explain it, but maybe it's more of a service. Maybe it's, you know, some type of offering that you're putting out there. I think showing how you can do that might help people feel like they can start to prototype sooner. Mm. There's one other thing I'd like to mention too, is that, and I mentioned this in, a, I believe I mentioned it in the podcast on design thinking 101 as well, is that um, I believe that the growth mindset, if people can adapt more of a growth mindset, then you start to realize, uh, you start to be able to prototype more. And what I mean by that is that you're not seeing 
failure, you're not seeing something that doesn't work as a extension of your knowledge. And I think a lot of us get stuck in that. And I wouldn't say you're either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. I think of it more as a spectrum. And a lot of people tend to say if they make a prototype and they put it out there, they think that that is an extension of their knowledge of themselves. And when it doesn't work, then we're critiquing you as well as that, that prototype. That is, we need to change that. The prototype is not equal to Carly. Like when the prototype fails, Carly does not fail. I think by saying failure and by kind of having that connection, people are scared to prototype. But if you make it less about, it's not about you. It's about this thing you're testing, this idea you're testing. And if you reframe it to building to learn instead of failing, I think failing makes this whole thing be complicated and people don't want to do it. You don't want to fail, right? But if you're building to learn, then that's different, right? We all want to learn. We all want to keep learning new things. And so like, can we, can we change the way we're talking about prototyping? Um, I, I think that would make a huge difference in the future. Oh, Justin, are you on mute? Oh, Justin. I'm just unmuting myself. I've just oh, the classic the host Zoom would mute. like me to stay on mute. I'm like, excuse me. Oh boy, um, Carly, this is ridiculous. You're the one who was up early. Um, so much to think about. And I'm watching our, the, the people on our call and I can see lots of like mm, nodding and heads down writing. And uh, I, I know inside my own head, I'm, I'm like, right, what can I prototype? Right, well, today I'm gonna do it. It's like, you're so inspirational. Um, so thank you for that. We have got a couple of questions. Um, yeah. Esther has asked uh, a question. And also Gihan has made a comment. Just pick up on Gihan's comment first, actually, because it relates to the point you just made. Um, huge fan of prototyping. And post-COVID, we need to be less fearful to fail. Um, there's now a whole research on the beginner's mindset which is to, and we talked about this, uh, this is just so lovely, um, Gihan, we talked about this on a, on a previous call about, with Bonnie Chuck about unlearning, uh, unlearn everything you know and starting from a blank mind, which of course is also related to the whole Zen beginner's mind um, approach. Um, lovely, thank you for sharing that, Gihan. To come to Esther's question, I'm quite interested about how to prototype strategies. How is this possible? in traditional companies particular where any decision involves a high level of risk. Um, yeah. what, what's your response to that? I would, I would actually ask to see if it, could we have a, a little more specific example of what you mean by strategy, if there's any way to elaborate on that. Well, I think it's something that you mentioned, Carly, uh, something about prototyping and strategies. I work in an oil and gas company, an oil and gas company, as you know, is very traditional business. Uh, not only that as well, because all of our decisions, our the things that we need to do have a, a high risk. So um, when I introduced this uh, concept, prototyping uh, in my business, in my company, of course, I work in human resources and it's so different. But I'm thinking about the business, how we can introduce this concept inside the business. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, building to learn. Um, it's a good uh, strategy for uh, you know building to learn. But I would like to know, how we can uh, change the mindset, uh, the culture when we are working in a very traditional uh, organization. 
Yeah. So there's a couple of points there. I mean, I think the part of working in a very traditional organization, changing the culture and the mindset that that's one bit. Um, the other bit, I just want to make sure I don't miss out is that I, I was, do you want to know more about the different prototyping strategies or how to prototype a strategy? <laughs> that makes sense. Both. <laughs> <laughs> all of the questions, everything. All of the questions. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, for example, um, I haven't, I haven't recently worked in with an oil and gas company in particular, but I have worked with, um, a lot of organizations that are antiquated in their ways. Um, specifically I, I was working in banking industry. I was working in some banking, yeah, I guess banking industry, some banking industries are a little more antiquated and, um, you know, it, it's hard to say, like, how do you change the total culture of an organization? I mean, I think there's a lot of people studying that and trying to do it. So I'm not going to say that I have the magic wand, Esther, for you to do that. Um, but, you know, two strategies that I have seen work in terms of trying to become uh, more accepting of prototyping in, in a culture is uh, getting at least buy-in. For, it doesn't have to be the high manager. Maybe it's your manager or something, um, getting them to believe in it and then kind of implementing a way for allowing people to, if you're using fail, fail forward, build to learn, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know I have a colleague, uh, Professor Jessica Menold at Penn State, who also studies prototyping. And she's kind of been testing this idea of putting these, she calls them Fudget Fridays, which is basically on Fridays, we have this session together. We have somebody come and say what went terribly wrong, what mistakes, because no one ever wants to talk about him. So maybe if you can implement small ways, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but like on a Friday, like let's have a speaker, let's have a, another employee come in and actually let's applaud them for the mistakes they made. But most importantly, what they learned from the mistakes. Cause we don't want everyone to go and make mistakes, right? It's what do you learn from it? And what are you going to do differently moving forward? Because that's the, the, the key part of prototyping is like the learnings and pushing forward from that. So if you can find small ways to do that, I think that can be really helpful. Um, and then also like having an advocate on the team. So maybe that's you Esther, maybe you start to learn about some different prototyping, prototyping approaches or strategies. And you try to, you just say like, look, can I just test this out for this one project or for this month? Like, let me just bring it to you. Let me think, see how it goes. Like, you know, and then we'll decide if we can do it. I think sometimes just saying like, let's do a trial period, basically in a meta term, let's prototype doing this prototyping, right? Like let's put a month of let's try this and this and this, and then let me know if we don't, if you don't want to do it, we don't have to do it. And I would say most people start to believe once they see the power of bringing these artifacts, these things to the conversation and having these meetings or working sessions, right? So I, I know that's not the magic wand answer, Esther, but those are two ways that I've tried to, to make it work. Um, and then in terms of prototyping strategies, there's, there's a whole list of them. I mean, there's so many, I could probably spend the next hour talking to you guys about prototyping strategies. To me, it's everything from, um, you can use a strategy like parallel prototyping, which is like, Hey Esther, I have three different ideas. I'm actually going to build a low fidelity of each of them. And then we're going to kind of test elements that's parallel prototyping compared to sequential. We take one thing, we move forward, we take another, you know, so that's one type of strategy or approach. 
Another one that's like my favorite and way, way too complex probably to get into is called Wizard of Oz prototyping. <laughs> and if you have ever seen the movie Wizard of Oz, maybe it's outdated for people now, but there's this scene when Dorothy goes to the Emerald City and there's like this, this Oz, this kind of magical person. And there's these, this fire and these lights. And it's like this crazy experience. And really it's this person behind the curtains pulling these ropes and things to like make the fire happen. So the essence of Wizard of Oz is that you're trying to have as authentic of a user experience as possible while faking some of that functionality. And the reason this gets complicated is because it looks different for everything, right? You, can, you just don't have one Wizard of Oz approach to make something happen. Um, but it's one of my favorite strategies. And if you can get good at doing that, it can be amazing for your design process. <laughs> I'll pause there because I know I just talked a lot. I'm not sure if I answered every one of your questions, Esther, but I would be happy to connect oh, thank you, so you know, much. later yeah, if you'd it. like to chat more. <laughs> that's, uh, I love that. Uh, that's definitely going in my, I do a little trail after the show, Carly, of like best bits. The Wizard of Oz is definitely going in there because I love the idea that people are, are, you know, we'd be posting this on LinkedIn and people are like, hmm, okay, yeah, it's a show about prototyping and the taxonomy. Let's, and then it's you going, it's like the Wizard of Oz. I think that's just going to be great. That's how we like to roll here. Um, thank you, Carly. Uh, um, and thanks for the question, Esther. We've had a couple of questions as well from um, one of our other special audience members, Emma Calvert. Um, Emma, let me see if I, hello. Um, so two questions, but both of which are linked. So Emma asked earlier, how do you move to a culture of prototyping especially from a standing start, which is a great question because lots of people are going to be facing that. And then added to that later, linking to my question before, overcoming cultures of, in quotes, dominance dynamics to ensure prototyping is successful. So that's a bit of a double, double punch question for you there, Carly. Yeah. Oh, those are definitely hard ones. I mean, I think it's kind of even getting back to what I said with Esther. It's like, I wish I had a magic wand to make your culture change, right? And there's a lot of people studying that. That's actually not even the main focus of what I do. But what I would say, um, you know, does, prototyping is in my mind, very closely tied to design thinking or human-centered design. And so I think that if you don't have buy-in for that, it's hard sometimes to have buy-in for prototyping in the essence that I mean for it. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of work out there on design thinking and human-centered design, putting humans at the, the, core of what we're creating. And there's been a lot of really great studies to support how design thinking is helping companies be more successful in business. And so I think if you're trying to get buy-in at your company, maybe from a standstill, even from the beginning, maybe that's the best place because you don't have any norms created, right? Maybe if you just started at the beginning and you kind of bring in some of these studies to show the value of design thinking and therefore the value of prototyping, sometimes that can be really motivating. I know when we show those types of studies, when I'm, when I'm working with companies to help them with a the culture change, like the managers or the higher levels are like, oh, oh, you're saying we could be, you know, 200% more, you know, successful or something. And so they start to see from these studies from McKinsey and the Design Management Institute and IBM. And there's a lot of studies out there that show the power of design thinking. Um, I think that can be helpful. And then, you know, I think starting from, I think you were saying starting from standstill or starting from ground, you know, the beginning of a, of a, creating that culture. I mean, to me, that is like an open canvas. Uh, and, and so I feel like whoever is the leaders of that 
organization or effort that you're doing, I mean, that is a very powerful point to kind of set the, the tone for the norms, right? Maybe that means a little bit of those managers or people showcasing failure, showcasing mistakes, um, wanting people to always come to a meeting with an artifact or with a prototype, right? We want to come with this thing to talk about. I think by setting a few of those kind of mandates of like what it is that we're going to be doing, what are the norms, that can go a long way. I think it's actually harder when you are established in the way that you work and then you try to sometimes bring in this new way of working, right? Because everyone's like, oh, we've been working this way for 20 years. I don't want to change. That's mm -hmm. a lot of the trouble that I come into <laughs> or so. Carly, do you um, do you work with companies who and internally that have a culture of saying with senior leaders going, hey, I've got a big announcement to make. I, I screwed up here. This didn't work. But here's what I learned. I mean, is that or is that a utopia or does that actually happen in some organizations? It definitely happens. I don't know if I'm, if you're, we're envisioning it at the same level. And this is actually a, a common mistake when you don't prototype is like what Justin has in his head and what I have in my head of what's happening might be at different levels. And so like, if I was to sketch something out and kind of show you, maybe we would be at the same level. So I'm going to try to get us there. I, I don't necessarily wouldn't say I have a good example of like this executive leader holding this huge company-wide meeting saying I've made these mistakes. Okay. That probably happens, and but maybe it's more of a utopia. I would say more at this like middle level of like, mm. let's celebrate the learnings from what went wrong, whether that was me or the team. I see that happen. And that might be with 10, 20, 30 people. Um, it's not as big as widespread as the entire company, mm. um, but it depends on the size and the scale for sure. Um, yeah. There's some companies that have totally reframed the way to think about prototyping. I think the common one that in my field that comes to mind is Dyson. If people are familiar with Dyson, like they, they boast that they came up with 5,000 plus prototypes before they launched their first vacuum. I mean, to some people, you can look at that and say, you failed 5,000 times. Like you made all these mistakes. You wasted all this money. You did all that, you know, but they're saying, no, we did it 5,000 times to come out with the best vacuum cleaner. And so they've completely changed the narrative, right? And that came from the top, that came from the leadership, right? And so I think if you can get people to frame it that way, like we tried it X amount of ways and we've decided this is the best way forward and we know that. I know it's not possible for everyone to come up with 5,000 of anything. I'm not trying to tell you to do that and waste all of your time, but I'm saying it's like an extreme, right? Mm, and sometimes mm. looking at the extremes can kind of help you push you in that direction as like a North star of like, well, maybe we should, you know, support this a little bit. Like mm. we tried this 10 times. And yeah. if we try prototyping early, yeah. then it doesn't mean we tried full, f 10 full production models, right? Like I'm not yeah. saying waste all of this money going into manufacturing and build for your final product. It's like you tried things in an early stage prototype when, when the stakes were lower, when it was yeah. an easier or a cheaper cost to build. Yeah, it's, it, it, I, I like it, the example of the 5,000 prototypes because it's like, we're not talking about 5,000. We're just even talking about getting you to try one <laughs> you know, rather than just getting stuck at the planning stage and never actually doing anything. Um, I don't want to, I have more questions for you, but I'm going to hand over. I, I also haven't given proper kudos to Damon, who is actually uh, also uh, 
in the States, but even earlier, in the earlier time zone than you, Carly. So, Damon, I'm, I'm guessing you've had time, you've had a gallon of coffee. I'm really keen for you to have the opportunity to jump in and, and ask uh, Carly a question or share your comments and reflections, because I know this is a theme very close to your heart as well. Sure, sure. Happy to. Hi, Carly. I think, um, you know, living in the technology world, uh, I find that, you know, when I mention prototyping or bring up the idea, you know, people kind of make that immediate leap to some sort of digital prototype and they're like, oh, wow, I, you know, I need a designer, I need a developer, I need, you know, all these resources in order to create some sort of prototype. And, you know, we've all talked about here today that, you know, that's not, that's not true. And I love that you mentioned the, um, the ability to even paper prototype you know, services or offerings or all these other, you know, kinds of experiences. But, you know, based on all this research you've done everywhere, do you have any other examples of other fun mediums that teams or people have used to create prototypes just to like get people thinking about it differently? Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, there's so many good case study examples. I think one of the most popular ones that I think of, and also because I was just listening to a podcast, um, uh, How I Built This just recently, and there was a, an, another episode on Dropbox. And Dropbox was one of like my first examples that I heard of, right? Where he made a video, basically like, record your screen. We're all really good at that now, right? Recording this call. You can like do things on your computer if you've mocked them up, even if it's in like a PowerPoint, Damon, even if it's like whatever platform you use, you can kind of create your own reality of what it is by recording it, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I do not have TikTok. I don't even fully understand what it is, except that it's videos. I can imagine people are doing on TikTok, essentially, like you can shoot a short video of something, you can move things around, you can fake it, right? You can Wizard of Oz, you can move this to here and then shoot the video again and kind of combine it. I think that's actually kind of an interesting idea, right? Just to, to show what you're thinking. And I don't want it to, sometimes I think people think that, uh, I've talked to some people about what, you know, where's the ethical line on like how much you're like, if it's not truly working and you're showcasing it. But I think that there's this power in like trying to make it true, what you're thinking, right? Trying to have the most pure essence of your idea. And so I believe in Wizard of Oz prototyping, as long as you're, you know, you're doing it for your own testing and learning to hopefully then build that, that full final design later on. Um, so that's one that I like. Um, I know that there's uh, a famous kind of study looking at Zappos. If people are familiar with that, it's a shoe delivery company um, where they, they, you know, you order online, you mail to your house. That doesn't sound crazy. It sounded crazy when they were starting their company. Mm -hmm. They actually prototyped their business model to some extent where they decided to go to local shoe stores, take pictures of shoes, and then put them on their website. When people would buy them, they would run to the store, buy the shoe. I mean, this is like early, early, early days, right? Buy the shoe, mail it to the person before they had the whole logistics, the whole warehouse, the whole inventory. They were just like testing the idea. Are people going to come to this website? Are they going to buy it? Like, are they going to get the ship to their house? So they were kind of testing some of that, that whole business model almost of their, you know, prototype. Uh, um, so that's kind of an interesting example. I love it. And I know in, in your podcast, you were talking about role play as well. And I've definitely yeah. seen in, in my world around employee experience design, I've seen people role play the first day new starter process. And literally, I'm sort of, I'm watching Justin's eyes light up at the talk of role play. Justin yeah. used to be an actor. Um, so I think there are so many ways that don't involve 
expensive things or really loads of skills, not to say acting isn't a skill, clearly. Um, Emma, our Emma, Emma Bridget, well, I'm just wondering what's coming up for you, what questions you've got. I know growth mindset would have been ringing a lot of positive bells yeah. for you, but what else is going on? And then we'll come, I know Jihan's got a question as well, so I'll come to that in just a moment. Yeah, lots of questions, and I suppose a bit, a bit, a bit of observation as well. But the first thing I'd say is in terms of leaders that are happy to be honest about failure, I work with an amazing guy called Brian Cole, who was the chief exec of Capital One in the UK. And he just lived and breathed that. He was awesome. And in actual fact, I first learned about kind of human-centered design when I was working with Capital One about 10 years ago. And they in the UK, they really live and breathe it. Which kind of brings me on to my next point. So hands up here. The minute, as you say, Carly, really resonate with me talking about reframing the conversation, because the minute I hear prototyping, I hear I need to be creative. Now, if anyone's ever seen any any kind of Pinterest fails, be it crafting cake, that's me, right? I, I'm just really rubbish at anything like that. Very musical, but can't can't create anything. In my head, I think it's going to look amazing. And the reality is it looks awful. But straight away, I feel like an anxiety. And I was explaining to Carly about how uh, our, our wonderful colleague Perry has done this amazing graphic novel for a prototyping activity we're undergoing. And I'm going, oh my good, already I feel the pressure, right? I'm like, mine's going to look shit compared to that. And I'm like, and I was just going to bung some images in, 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 in PowerPoint. So how do we move this on? So I can, I can see, you know, companies that are really living and breathing this, that stuff wouldn't matter. But I can see some companies getting into that almost like that competitive prototyping. And for people like me, who anything I do that's even slightly creative, it's going to look rubbish. How do we get over the fact that it's not about how cool and sexy it looks? It's about what it's trying to communicate. So I wonder if you had any kind of advice for me on that, because I, I need it, because I need to kind of do a prototyping. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I think the, the at the core, there needs to be an understanding, right? Like at some point, Emma, you're going to need to bring in a designer or a developer or something, right? Like at some point when this becomes like we're moving forward, if that's not part of the scope of your job, like, yes, you do need to bring in somebody who's more of an expert in those areas. Um, but there should be, I, I feel like bringing, like being comfortable with like sketching on paper, or sketching on a whiteboard, like I think people are even afraid to do that. And, and that might seem like a simple step towards like, if you can get people to start draw, like if, if Emma, you're like, I have this idea and I'm in a meeting with you. I'm going to be like, Emma, could you draw that on the board? Could you sketch that on a paper and hold it up on this zoom call? Right. And I think that that might be like a really simple technique to start to get people to feel comfortable to doing things with their hands. All we're used to doing is typing on the computer, right? Like most of the time, like, oh, we're, we're on the computer typing. Like, I think we're missing this element of like making with our human hands. And that can be as simple as like writing something on paper or on a whiteboard or sketching out a diagram flow of how this is gonna, gonna work. Um, I think some of the simplest sketches that can be a very simple prototype sometimes is like a schematic diagram, like a flow. Maybe schematic diagram sounds too fancy. Think of it as like a process or a flow, like Emma, what are we going to do here? Here's a little box. Here's an arrow. Here's the next thing we're going to do. And then it could go this way or it could go this way. And then you're starting to visualize the conversation or visualize what it is that you're putting out there. And to me, that starts to break the ice to start making in the, in the simplest way possible, which sounds yeah. almost silly, but it's like, When's the last time you were in a meeting and people like got up around a board and started drawing together? Yeah. Like almost never happens, right? That, that really resonates. You probably can't see, but I've actually got a hand-drawn kind of a- I love it. Up there. And actually that's what I learned when I was in Capital One. Um, 
everybody had like A3 sketch pads and everybody started with a bag of, you know, a, a load of Sharpies and an A3 sketch pad and people would just draw things out and you kind of got, it became part of the culture. And I've actually, you can't see them, but I've got a load around the wall. So I think that's brilliant advice. Thank you for that. And the, and the other thing kind of building on that, and I think there's a lot of kind of funny jokes in the design thinking world about like, oh, to do design thinking, you just need some post-its, right? And you just need a Sharpie. And like, that's design thinking, which it can be a funny joke when you know, you know this world, but there's actually a lot of truth to it. Like post-its are amazing. They're so cheap. They're, they're free, almost free to use. You can have one idea per thing. You can crumble it up, throw it away, like not care about it. And so like, <laughs> there's this magic here of bringing your ideas to light. Okay, everyone's got post-its, I love it. It's, it's like, it's so simple and flexible and versatile that it's actually really, really powerful. Um, I mean, it's not the essence of design thinking, but this idea of like putting things out there, right? Like having some type of representation, collaborating on it, iterating, evolving. Um, that can be another simple way. I know some people might laugh about it, but I think it's pretty powerful, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's it's easy to be a bit sniffy and, you know, and it's just because you've got a packet of post-it notes doesn't mean that you're doing design thinking. So there's a bit of sniffiness about the theater of design thinking that isn't real design thinking. But I, I totally agree with you. Actually just getting people to get a pen and a piece of paper and just start. And what you always hear, what I always hear is, and I do it, the, the giggles and the, oh, I really can't draw, I can't draw, I can't draw, draw, oh, look up. But as soon as you start and you keep revisiting, as Emma, I think you said, it, 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 it's sort of a little bit, sorry, this is a really inappropriate word, viral. It just sort of catches on and people get used to doing it. And for so many different personality types, it just is a great way of expressing. So finding ways to build that into working sessions or meetings or whatever it may be, and just making part of the standard repertoire of behaviors I think is um is is really helpful um Jihan just spotted your comment in the in the chat so I'm just going to read it out unfiltered um so post-covid I think post-covid for creativity and prototyping to be embedded within an organization's culture is going to include it within the employee experience moments that matter um so I'm sorry reading that really quickly so I'm probably garbling it somewhat but I, I think it's it's do you know what? it's such a good it's such a good point what we find around employee experience design or sort of visualizing the experience that people have and starting visualizing those conversations and getting people to to focus in on particular moments that matter the process of doing that with people so a you're looking at the employee experience but you're actually building this creativity this prototyping this different way of communicating into their experience so that so that so it's a bit meta so they're working on the employee experience but they're also building this new skill as they're doing it as well and i know esther and i've had conversations about that in the past and i know damon that's very much part of your world as well so such a great point um Jihan, thank you for that um justin i feel i'm looking at the clock and i feel i need to ping back to you on mute <laughs> we're so slick today Oh, yeah, I'm having I'm having unmuting challenges today. Uh, we'll take it. We'll fix it in post. We'll take it out in the edit. Uh, yeah. How do you wrap up this conversation? Uh, I mean, I, I want to keep because, talking. We have another hour. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're up now. You're up now. Yeah, you're up now. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you know, this is the this is the terrifying thing that Carly, you're only just getting warmed up. Uh, you know? <laughs> the rest of my day. Look I've got client sessions all day. It's going to be, yeah. 
it's gonna be a long day <laughs> look out world listen carly i know um from all of us we're so grateful for you giving your time and i also extend that to our guests as well our, our audience members for um rocking up and getting involved and you know you can't say this enough to people who only watch the show afterwards, can you? It, it is different when you're here because you really are part of the conversation. And the one theme that flows through all of these conversations inevitably comes up is connection, is human connection, uh, which of course is particularly relevant to the current global circumstances. And I've just been making a, a, a connection there myself with what you're talking about Carly to connection is I particularly like this notion of being of being able to communicate with people in the work environment uh, in a different way so accessing opening up that different part of your brain um, and sort of it's almost like tricking yourself into allowing that stuff to come out isn't it and um, by kind of bypassing that um, through all of these different techniques, all of these different approaches, which are all practically focused. And, and I think it's lovely and the world will be a richer place for it. And, and as a parent, I'm, you know, a constant frustration for me is having children in the educational system where we're, they're taught the opposite. There's still this total addiction to right or wrong and not failing. Um, and uh, one of my sons certainly, certainly seems to be embracing that principle. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he seems a little bit too happy to fail. But anyway, enough about me. I, I, I just want to say to, uh, to everyone again, thank you very much. And for those of you who are watching the call afterwards, thank you and listening to us. Thank you. Uh, we have next, in two weeks time, reset show number 10, we have author Dr. Bill Mitchell talking about his new book, Breathe which is basically about how to survive the modern workplace, not just survive and thrive, but also thrive. Um, that's it for us, folks. Thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you, some of you, maybe all of you in a couple of weeks time. Till then, go well and take care. Bye for now. Thank you, thank you, Carly. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye, thank you. Bye, thank you. Bye.